0: Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. If you got a Bible, go to Matthew chapter 20 if you would. Matthew uh, chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew rack. Uh, looks just like the one I got right here. Uh, if you go to page 817, you will find uh, Matthew chapter 20. And uh, if you're not used to navigating the Bible, that, on that page you'll see two columns, right-hand column. About a third of the way down, you'll see a big 20. That's the chapter. And I'm going to read uh, from that chapter here in a, in a, in a little bit. Um, but we're, we're in this series called Ridiculous Grace, uh, Brian got us started last week, and I just want to make sure we, we have a good understanding of what grace is, so let's just, uh, let's just say this, you know, let's say that you got caught cheating on your taxes, okay? You got caught cheating on your taxes, pretty, pretty serious offense. You go to court, and the courtroom, you're, you're, you're found guilty, and you stand before the judge, and the sentence comes down, and you are given five years in prison for that cheating on your taxes. And the, the judge sentences you, and you get put on that bus, taken to prison, and you serve your five years. What you get right there is you, that that's justice, okay? Justice is served. The, 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 that, that's, a, that's a common thing. Justice is being served. But if you get caught cheating on your taxes and you go to court and you're found guilty but the judge looks at you and looks at your record and sees there's nothing on your record, this is the first offense, and sees you have a spouse and you've got small kids and decides that he's gonna take that five year sentence that he should or she should give to you but, but reduces it to two and a half years because it's your first offense and you've got small kids. Well, that's mercy. Okay? And in this picture, we got justice, but in this case, what you're getting is a merciful sentencing. Now imagine you get caught cheating on your taxes and you go to court and you're found guilty and the judge sentences you to five years and you're on that bus headed to to prison and that judge is also on the bus and travels with you to prison. In fact, walks you to your prison cell, stops you at the entry to your prison cell and then says, you wait right here and he steps in or she steps into the prison cell, shuts the prison cell behind them and says, "Uh, you're guilty but I'm gonna pay your debts to society. I'm gonna serve your five years for you. You've just received grace here we have justice you, you, you get what's coming to you here we've we're taking into account some of the circumstances you get mercy this is a picture of grace the judge himself or herself pays your penalty for you this is grace and in this series we're talking about ridiculous grace the kind of grace that inspires music and songs and poets to write and um, and and we love we love grace um, but I'm just going to tell you right from the very beginning of this talk, grace can be amazing. It can it can be ridiculously amazing. At the same time, it can be ridiculously offensive. You can be offended by grace. Now, a lot of years ago, I'm fishing with some friends. We're up in Alaska, and we're on this island and we're fishing this lake. We're the only ones there, and it's been good fishing. And uh, there, there's one of my one of my friends is in the boat. And notices a, a piece of beef jerky that has been sitting in the bottom of the boat, um, mixing with lake water and fish blood and fish slime. And You ever seen one of those sponges, you know, like in the shape of an animal, and on the packaging it says, put this in water and it will swell to the size, like you know, 10, 50 times larger than that it looks right now. That piece of beef jerky was swollen. Uh, it, was, it was much larger than its original size. And one of my friends in the boat says to me, hey Fowler, I dare you to eat that. And my first response was, well, what do I get? And so I just went around the boat. Okay, what, what are you gonna put in on this? What are you putting in on this? What are you putting in on this? And so we got, got around the boat, and, um, and so you know, I, was, I, I felt fairly satisfied with what was in, and so I ate it. And um, I grew up in Asia, come on. That's, that's nothing. That's nothing. And uh, I'll just say that I paid for the rest of my trip to Alaska. But here's the, here's the reality is that when, when we are posed with challenges, now it's not going to be eating beef jerky, but when you're posed with a challenge that calls you to go above and beyond the, the call of duty or the call of wisdom, it's one of, the, one of the very first questions that pops into your mind is, what do I get? What's in it for me? What, what, what's on the backside of this? What do I get for this extra effort? And it's, it's a common human question. Now, one day, Jesus is with his disciples, and a, a wealthy young leader walks up to him and says, Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, keep the law and the prophets and, uh, and love the Lord you God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And, and, um, and the, the wealthy young leader says, yeah, I've done that. And Jesus says, well, there's one more thing you need to do. Sell all your possessions and give it to the poor. And if you've read that passage, you know that that wealthy young leader walks away from Jesus sad because he can't pull the trigger on that one because he loves his possessions more than the idea of selling it all, giving it to the poor so he can be with Jesus. And Jesus responds to the situation to his disciples and says, man, I tell you what, it's so hard for rich people, so hard for wealthy people to enter the kingdom of God. And this just blows the disciples' minds. Because the common spiritual narrative in that day is that if you are a healthy, wealthy Jewish male who keeps the rules, you are blessed by God. God's favor will be on you. That was the narrative of the day, which is why when Jesus starts talking the Beatitudes and says, blessed are the poor in spirit, this is completely contrary to what they're normally hearing. It's so contrary that the disciples respond to Jesus and their response kind of betrays that narrative because they say, how can anyone be saved then? If this guy who is wealthy, he's healthy, he keeps the rules. I mean, he's keeping the law. If he can't, if he can't get in the kingdom of heaven, then what, what room is there for us? But Peter, Peter is connecting the dots. He's been following Jesus. He's been following Jesus with his friends. And this wealthy young leader can't let go of his stuff, but Peter has and the other disciples have and so peter asked jesus the question what do we get i i've left my commercial fishing business behind jesus i've left boats i've i've left my my parents i left nets i left my family behind what do we get and jesus responds to peter and the other disciples by saying this, I assure you, this is the end of of chapter 19, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children, or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. That's great news, but here comes the but. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then, and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. Or some of your translations say, those who are first will be last, and the last shall be first. So what what Peter is asking is, what do we get? We've made these sacrifices. What do we get? And what Jesus is going to tell them is, Peter, you're going to get way more than you deserve, but be careful. Because this amazing grace that that you'll experience actually can can amaze you at one, this ridiculous grace, grace can amaze you at one moment, and at another moment, it can tick you off. It can offend you. So Jesus tells a story It's the parable of the vineyard workers. And by the way, that that little title there, the parable of the vineyard workers, that wasn't in the original manuscripts. People put those titles in there later to kind of help us understand what was coming next. It's actually not a great title. It should be parable of the the compassionate employer because this is not about the employees that you're gonna read about here in a second. This is about an amazing employer. Jesus says, here's what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Now, let me just hit the pause button real quick here. In Jesus day and is still common in the Middle East, if you don't if you're not a business owner or you don't have a regular job, you go out to the marketplace uh, in Jesus' day, what would be called the agora. You go out to the agora and you show up there early in the morning, hoping for uh, employers to kind of swing by, and because uh, they need they need people to work for the day, and you're hoping to get hired as a day laborer. So that's that's what's going on here. There's these, these folks who they don't own businesses, they don't have regular jobs, but they're just hoping to make something for the day, uh, just to just to make just to make ends meet. So he agreed, he hired workers, he agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon and again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, He was in town again and saw some more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more. But they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. This is God's holy word. So, we've got this story, we've got this picture of ridiculous grace, which is at one moment amazing, and at the next moment can be incredibly offensive. Let's just talk about how, how grace is amazing, how ridiculous grace is amazing. And really, from the very beginning of the story, you might miss this in this case, but you've got a landowner who goes to the marketplace to hire employees, which already he's getting the attention of those who are listening because the landowner never goes to the marketplace to hire workers. That's not his, the the landowner doesn't do that. The foreman does that. The foreman will show up in the story when, when paychecks are kind of being distributed and handed out. What typically would have happened in this case, the steward or the foreman of the vineyard would go to the marketplace and make the hire. But this landowner is not like other landowners. This landowner has not delegated this job so he can kick up his feet on a lazy boy and watch football games. This, this, is, a, this is a landowner that's, that's involved in what's going on in his community. And so he's down at the marketplace early in the morning, which just tells us right from the very beginning that ridiculous grace is very personal. It's personal. God... As he, as he, as his this world is is running and is involved. He hasn't delegated. He's not some distant god. He's a personal god and knows exactly what's going on in our lives. Personal god. The second thing that, that we'll see here, we'll put up on the screen. It's it's a collectivistic gr- uh, grace. What what I mean by that? It's collectivistic in contrast to individualistic. Uh, this needs to be explained. This is a business owner. This is a business owner that's harvest time and needs to hire workers for the harvest. Now, my guess is that this is not his first rodeo, so he or she n- needs to knows that how many employees they need to hire, whether it's ten or twenty five or fifty. They've done this before; they know how many employees that need to be hired to work the vineyard to bring the harvest in. Okay, this is a, this is a business owner that knows what they're doing, so they go to the marketplace early in the morning and they make hires. Why is he back in the marketplace at nine o'clock? Why is he back at noon? Why is he back at three o'clock or at five o'clock? Because he not only cares about the the, the bottom line of, of his business, he cares about the bottom line of his community. Yes, he cares about his business, but he also cares about the bottom line, the welfare of the people in his village or in his city or town. It's a collectivistic approach or, or, or sight on his, on his community rather than just what, what's this mean for me and I want to keep costs down just for me. He actually wants to make sure people in his community are cared for. That's what I mean by being collectivistic versus individualistic. It's, it's, it's amazing that, that this is the kind of grace that we receive. Here's another thing you need to know about ridiculous grace. Ridiculous grace sees the unwanted. Who are the people who are waiting to be hired at five o'clock or at three o'clock or at noon. I'll tell you who they are. They are the ones who were passed over at early in the morning because they're probably not young. They're probably not strong. They're the kind of people who, they may be older, they may look weak. Their background check didn't go so well. They're, They're the undesirables. They're the least wanted employees. But this landowner not only is personally involved and not only has a collectivistic view of its community, he also sees the unwanted, those who are being passed over and hires them to work in the vineyard. But it gets better. Here's the next thing you need to see about ridiculous grace. It's thoughtful. This one, again, you might pass over pretty quickly. It's five o'clock. You're in the marketplace again. There's people waiting to be hired The landowner knows he's going to pay him a denarius, a full day's wage. He knows this. You know, there's some conflict that's about to happen when the paychecks are going to be handed out in an hour. There's some protesting that's going to take place. Do you know how this landowner could have avoided all that conflict? Just give people their paychecks before they, I mean, why make them work an hour? I mean, give them their, uh, the, the, the denarius, their full day's wage, and you can avoid all that protesting. You can avoid all that conflict. But what this landowner is doing, he's, what he's doing is he's, he's allowing people to retain their dignity. Because... They'll go home, not with a handout, they'll go home saying, yes, I waited all day in the marketplace, I waited all day in the Agora, and I finally got hired, and I went to work, and I brought home, amazingly, I brought home a full day's wage. And what that landowner does is help this person, these people, to, to retain their dignity. And friends, there is a time when we want to we provide relief. I mean, when there's fires like we're seeing in California, when there's hurricanes like we've seen in these, in these recent weeks and months. There are times when, when money needs to flow to people so they can have clean water and so they can have food. But oftentimes, We actually are robbing people of their dignity if we don't give them the the right to sort of live out their purpose and, and and help development to take place in their life. This landowner is very thoughtful. He does not choose the path of least resistance ridiculous grace is personal it's collectivistic it sees the unwanted it's thoughtful and lastly it's generous this is the pretty the most obvious one of the story he pays the people at the end who've only worked an hour the same as those who have worked all day and I don't know if you like that parable or not I don't know if I like it because it cuts against the grain of our our culture our society of of hard work and just reward But this is the kind of grace that you and I have received from our, this is a picture of who God is. He's personal. He's got the whole, he's not, he's, yes, he cares about you, but he cares about everyone. He sees the unwanted. He's thoughtful. You know, he's very generous. Ephesians chapter one captures this so well. Paul is ransacking the language, trying to describe for us this grace. He writes, how blessed is God and what a blessing he is. He's the father of our master Jesus Christ and takes us to the high places of blessing in him. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. Friends, that's ridiculous grace. That's amazing grace. And every once in a while, we, we, we see this heavenly picture of grace. We see a picture of it here on planet Earth. Dan Price is the CEO of a, a credit card process, payment processing uh, business called Gravity. You may have heard this story. Uh, on Price, he, his salary is 1.1 million dollars, or it was his annual. He's like his early 30s. His salary is 1.1 million dollars, um, and he he has this kind of a harebrained idea. His business is in Seattle, and uh, he decides that he's going to take a pay cut. He's going to lower his 1.1 million dollar salary down to seventy thousand dollars. And everyone who works for him in his credit card processing firm, who makes less than $70,000, he's going to raise their pay to $70,000. So everyone's going to make, make, make 70 grand. And so he, he, he calls a meeting, April 15, 2015, 100 plus employees show up in this, in this business meeting room. And they have no idea what the meeting is about. And Price tells them that he's lowering his salary, and right now, if you make less than $70,000, you're getting a pay raise, and you're going to earn $70,000. And uh, those who were in the room described that moment as a moment of silence. People were like, oh, okay, so you're waiting for the shoe to drop. But then they realize, no, th- this, is, this is amazing. And people are applauding And they're high-fiving each other. Philip, a merchant's relations worker whose $43,000 salary immediately jumped that day, said this. He said, it took us a moment to understand what he was saying. I called my wife. She didn't believe me. Nidellis Ortiz, 25-year-old underwriter. Uh, She moved, her family struggled with homelessness. So she moved from Puerto Rico with her mom and dad to the U.S., her, her salary went from $36,000 to $70,000. She called her mom and dad and told them that she now made $70,000 and her mom cried on the phone and told her that her salary was more than both her father and her mother's combined salary. Uh, Jason Bird, 38, uh, forty thousand dollar salary as a software tech says this gives us so much freedom to do our jobs and not have to worry about money. I'm going to save some of my extra pay and try to pay down some of the forty two thousand dollars I own in, I, I owe in student loans. Should have went to RTI. But here, here's a here's a picture. Here's a picture of some of the employees on, on that day. And it, this is a high five moment. This is, this is a, a applauding moment. People are, are stunned by this kind of generosity and they're excited and this is such an amazing grace will just draw out of you joy. But not everyone at Gravity was happy, right? There was another individual who actually was not happy at all. and happened to be Dan Price's brother. Lucas, Lucas was a minority shareholder in Gravity, and uh, and he he filed a lawsuit against his brother because in his mind that his profits as a minority shareholder would, in that company would be compromised. So he actually sued his brother. Uh, and so here you got to get this in one moment you have this amazing generosity and you got a bunch of people that are thrilled but you also have a bunch of people who are not thrilled in fact they're pretty offended that you have been this generous grace is amazing in one moment and at the next moment it can offend you it can offend me us and Jesus highlights this in the story and talks about how ridiculous grace can actually unearth some stuff in us, expose some stuff in us. Here's just, a, here's just a short list of ways that can happen. It can offend your sense of superiority. You see, in this story, this story where you've got people who were hired at the beginning of the day, and as, as, as the paychecks are being handed out, see, they're at the end of the line. Those people who worked only an hour, they get a full day's wage. They get a denarius, Do you know what those folks who are worked all day are thinking? They are thinking this—it's jackpot. This landowner is paying a denarius an hour. I've been here twelve hours, which means that I'm going to make twelve days' worth of pay in one day. But as the paychecks are being handed out and and people are rejoicing about this, this amazing amount they're getting, what they're seeing is that everyone is getting the same. And when they get their paycheck, they protest. Why do they protest? Some of your translations of this story in your Bible will say, it captures it in a short little phrase. You have made them equal to us. You see, I'm worth more. I'm more valuable. Oh, and we've got all our categories of how to determine someone's value. I'm more valuable because, you fill in the blank. In this case, I'm more valuable because I worked longer. I'm more valuable because I worked in the heat of the day. Why am I getting the same as someone who only worked an hour? I know you would never ask that question, but some people would ask that question. See, why am I getting the same as someone who, I've got a higher education level than them. I've worked longer in this company. I volunteer in Omni with children's ministry. You just volunteer in the upper room. We rank in rate and we peg ourselves. We attach value to what we do. And when generosity is being handed out, here's what we do. Our, our, we have a sense of superiority to others. And when grace is being distributed, what God will do is he will offend that sense of superiority. Superiority that's exactly what, you've made them equal to us. How dare you make me equal to them? Here's what ridiculous grace will do as well. It will disturb you and prompt you to dictate to God how and to whom grace should be dispensed. You see, what these people who were hired at the beginning of the day have forgotten is they once stood with all these people early in the morning and they were all unemployed. But something happened during the progress of the day. At one moment we were all unemployed, but I got hired and I felt pretty good about myself. In fact, the longer I worked through the day, then I felt like I had the right to tell the landowner how to run his business. We, when, grace, when we're offended by grace, sometimes we're offended because of how... People who were just like us, whose brokenness maybe not, isn't the same as our brokenness, but it's still brokenness, and we then determine this is how God should, God, this is how you should do things. And we begin to dictate to God. Who, who bless you, who gets in? Who, does, who doesn't get, I mean, who, who gets treated? Who gets access? Who doesn't get access? This is, this is friends, this is when the religious spirit rises in us. Here's another way that grace, uh, grace will offend us. It'll expose you. Here's what, here's what you'll what you find. See what, in this story, here's, here's how these guys who are hired at the beginning of the day are exposed. They're just like the rich young ruler. Remember the rich young ruler? I can't let go of my possessions and follow Jesus, I can't sell it all and give it to the poor. My stuff is more important than people's needs being met. And these people who worked at the early part of the day, that their paychecks are more important than celebrating with people who get a full day's wage, who get to go home to their family and say, look what God has done. Instead of celebrating, they're mad. And Jesus exposes them in this story by saying, that's the rich young ruler. That's the spirit of the rich young ruler. My possessions are more important than people. Here's the last way I would suggest that ridiculous grace can offend you. It will offend my belief that being fair is more important than being generous. So so Peter is asking the question, what do we get? Oh, Peter, I got good news for you. You're not gonna get what you deserve. Friends, do you wanna get what you deserve? Do you want God to be fair? Or do you want them to be gracious, ridiculously gracious and generous? And oftentimes, fairness becomes a higher value than generosity. And I'm not saying there's not a place for fairness. And In fact, I'm, there, there's a time for, for justice and there's time for mercy and there's, there's a lot of times for grace. And, and yet, we can be amazed by grace. We can sing songs about grace. We can write poems about grace. But remember Remember that while it will amaze you in one moment, it it will offend you in the next. Now, how do we, as recipients of grace, allow this grace to flow through us and sort of splash on people that we come in contact with? How do we avoid the spirit of being captured by the spirit of these early hired workers in the vineyard? I'll just give you a a couple ways I think that 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 Practical ways we can do this. The first one is this. It's rejoicing with those who rejoice. With this will protect our hearts. See, what happens sometimes in life, the very blessings that you are longing for, you see come to reality or fruition in someone else's life. You've longed to be married, but, but all your friends are getting married, and you're not getting married. And there's something in you that's just like, ah, it just bugs me, and I go to the wedding, and I celebrate, but it's with gritted teeth. And one of the ways that you can protect your spirit from envy and covetousness is to simply enter into the celebration. See, you're married and you want kids and then there's that other family, they're like kid number four and you just want want one. And you're in this incredible pain and the pain is real. I'm I'm not minimizing the pain, but one of the ways you can protect your soul is to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. And hopefully there are people around you who will mourn with those who are mourning. So one of the ways that we can protect ourselves, see, if those early hired workers had clapped and applauded and high-fived those folks who were hired at five o'clock, that's a completely different story, isn't it? Because they would have been rejoicing with those who were rejoicing. Here's the here's second thing I think we need to, to do is ask ourselves this question, am I denying grace to anyone because I don't think they deserve it? Are you... Do you want justice? And by the way, we need to apply wisdom to this because in some situations, justice does need to be served, right? So justice is important. But am I denying grace because I want justice or mercy? Do I want them to have grace? Am I withholding grace? See, I think there certainly are cases where justice needs to be served, but I think oftentimes we're such an easily offended people We hold on to stuff. We've been recipients of lavish grace, but it's really hard to let it flow. Am I denying grace to someone because I don't think they deserve it? Last thing I would say this, here's homework for you. Would you commit a ridiculous act of grace this week? We'll check in next week, see if you did your homework. Would you this week commit a ridiculous act of grace and friends this this story is about a parable and a vineyard and and paychecks and money it's it this isn't just a this isn't just money you could give the a ridiculous act of grace by giving of your time by serving somebody by seeing a need and just meeting it with by stepping in and giving someone a break and say hey take the day and i'll watch your kids or I'll clean your house for you. Just commit a ridiculous act of grace. And I I honestly believe that if we can rejoice with those who rejoice and we can let grace flow freely from us and overlook offenses and we can be people who are committing just ridiculous acts of grace, I I think that that we'll posture ourselves, we'll protect our souls and our spirits from that, that covetousness and that envy and that jealousy that consumed those workers who were hired in the morning who couldn't rejoice with those who were able to take care of their families because there was a generous landowner who forgotten that they are recipients of generosity themselves. So let's just bow our heads, close our eyes, and can we just process this for a moment? Jesus, we we don't want to just be hearers of your word. We want to be doers as well. So Jesus, what what are you saying to us today? I mean, clearly one of the things you're saying to us about yourself is that you are generous. You are a generous God. You are a gracious God. Thank you. Now what might you be calling us to? How how might we respond to the fact that you're generous and gracious? Spirit of living God, would you just... Would you bless us with a spirit of creativity so that we could just show your ridiculous grace to someone this week? Could we maybe forgive, Lord? Teach us how to rejoice with those who are experiencing something right now that actually that's what we're hoping for. And may we put a smile on your face as we become more and more like you, our gracious God. We pray this in your name, amen.